Hey guys, welcome to this week's Money and Investing Show. This week we are looking at the topic of leverage, one of the best tools that you can use if you know what you're doing and you get your timing right, and your worst nightmare if you don't. Plenty of great content in here, look forward to seeing you in the show. Hey guys, welcome to this week's Money and Investing Show with me, your host, Andrew Baxter, and as always, my offsider and co-host, Mitchell Laurentiel. Thanks for having me on the show, Mr. Baxter. Nice haircut, nice jacket, wearing all the good gear, and. Speaking of gearing up, let's talk about how and when to use leverage. These segues get better and better every time. That is dreadful, so let's hope the content uh, usurps that. Absolutely, when and how to use leverage, the million dollar question which uh, so many people that are new to the world of investing uh, are fixated with. Where can I get some leverage? It is an alluring prospect. You can effectively gear up, but I think before we dive into the nitty gritty behind that AB, for anyone who is unaware, what actually is leverage? Okay, so Tintax, leverage is where you're using a relatively small part of your money and the rest of it is what's called other people's money. Classic example of that, investment property, you put down 20% of the deposit plus a stamp duty and various other costs, and then you borrow uh, the balance, the 80% of the loan. So that's called a a loan to value ratio, LVR in property. And so if you're putting down a 20% deposit, that means effectively with property, you're working with five to one leverage. Got you, got you. And there's some other formats we can talk of in the stock market, margin lending being yeah. one of those, CFDs, another example. Yeah, they, they, they all seem to have their trend. You know, if you went back in time a little bit, margin lending prior to the GFC was certainly uh, was certainly the place to be. And that's where, similar to a property, you put down a deposit. Typically, depending on your provider, of course, about 30% deposit, 70% borrowed. Um, but there are some risks with that, which I'm sure we'll get into. Uh, with a CFD, a contract for difference, again, same sort of thing. You're putting down maybe 2 to 5% of the value of the shares and maybe 95% of it is borrowed. Bigger amount of borrowing, bigger potential profit, bigger potential risk as well. So, you know, all that glistens isn't gold. Uh, another way of using leverage, perhaps, and we'll get into that in a bit more of a safe way, would be to use options. Got you, got you. Let's save that for the end because that's kind of our trade secret. And as you mentioned, really, the, the kicker there is that you can make more money off less. That's really the main goal if you're using leverage, right? That is a potential outcome. And if you were writing marketing material for somebody that was trying to flog a Forex course, you, know, you can get started with a really small amount of money and get decent exposure to the market. And that's one of the things that does draw people into certain types of margin product. And look, in all fairness, the regulator has done quite a good job uh, of beefing up um, the requirements uh, for companies that offer leveraged products to disclose to the punter uh, what their risks are. In fact, when you open a broking account now, there's something that's called a suitability test. We're actually embryonic in that way back in the day uh, when ASIC introduced those. And the idea of going through that test is to see if you understand that all that glistens really isn't gold. There are risks associated with that. And and in some instances, depending on the instrument, your risk can actually be quite spectacular. Totally, totally. Well, let's, let's, that's probably a good place to kick it off. Before you make that decision to use <clears throat> leverage, I guess the first question you have to ask yourself is, do you know what it is? How can we elaborate on that? Look, again, very, very important to understand what you're doing with any kind of investment asset. The last thing you need to hear from someone is, oh, I didn't realize that could happen, or I didn't know that because there's so much disclosure these days that's put out up front on these products. And yes, some of it's quite hard to access and it's got more jargon in than it needs. But as someone that's making a decision to invest your money, you'd blooming well ought to know what you're doing with it and look into where is the catch? What is my downside? Not what's my upside, what's my downside? Because you know, the ultimate uh, way of making money is not to be losing it in the first instance. Um, so yeah, you've got to do your homework and work out where it's at. So finding out um, the small print, 
what happens, for example, if the position goes against me? And you think, well, property is okay. Actually, it isn't. If the LVR drops below 80-20, 20% deposit, 80% of, of, of lent to you, if the property value drops, you're in a situation where you could potentially have something called negative equity, and the bank will ask you to put in more money to re-establish that equilibrium between what you've got in the property and what the bank have, just to make sure that they're managing their risk because ultimately that's their business. And in much the same way, if you're trading something like a CFD, a contract for difference, or a margin loan, if the shares that you own fall, well, you don't own them actually, um, you've got exposure to them. Sure. Um, if the shares that you've got exposure to drop in value, again, you might have to tip in more money. And in the stock market, we call that something called a margin call. And that's where you're requested, it's not really a polite request, you've got a, a demand. A demand to put more money in your account to offset the lack of value of the asset because it's moved against you. Now, if you've geared up and you've geared up very, very heavily and you've used, you know, you've borrowed as much as you can to try and get exposure to the market, where's that money going to come from when that margin call arrives to say you've got to put in another twenty, fifty, hundred thousand dollars into your account today in order to meet your margin requirements? And if you're unable to meet those margin requirements, the position is liquidated, it's all sold out. And uh, and that's the end of your collateral that you put down. Boom. You're living under a bridge, effectively. Potentially, yes. If you owe money, then they have the right to recover uh, what monies are owed from you in any and all ways possible that are open to them um, in terms of credit recovery and, and so on. So not the position to find yourself in. And, and so many people, oh, I didn't know that could happen. Really good example of this. Storm Financial, absolutely disgusting behavior on the part of Storm very predatory in terms of the way they were marketing. Uh, finding people that had equity in their home and using that to get a margin loan. So you've got, you've managed to work hard and say you've got 100 grand or 200 grand of equity in your property, which you know, 15, 18 years ago in North Queensland would be a fair, Was fair a slab lot, of dough. Totally. And that money will be extracted and then used as a deposit or, or an uh, initial deposit for a margin loan and then borrow the rest. And then when the market drops, obviously, you're now without a house. Absolutely disgraceful. And the people, I, I didn't realize this could happen. Now, that was done in a way for a structured product, which is perhaps a little more opaque, a little harder for people to get their head around it. And, you know, and, and I think ASIC's um, determination on that and the way that the banks particularly lent into that is absolutely despicable. And they haven't really been held to account for that. Um, so this can happen on individual shares. In that case, it happened with managed products. Bottom line is when it goes wrong, it can be a very, very sour bowl of milk that you're going to be forced to lick up. Totally. And the risks are amplified. So too are the rewards that mm. I think probably the next step in that AB was to actually work out if you do want to use leverage mm. and you're happy to accept that risk, yep. what's your actual motive for wanting to do that? We could mm. chat about some internal, maybe some external factors. Yeah, look, they're good places to, to dive into. Um, you know, let's call competence being one and confidence being another. So if you're going to use borrowed money for anything, and again, you look at the amount of advertising that's out there encouraging people to trade in the Forex space because that's where the pros trade. In other words, you're getting in the ring with the best of the best. That's it's not, the not for a beginner. Using leverage it is not the place to start your trading journey. It's actually the opposite end of that spectrum, but heck, they've got their place to play in the marketplace. Um, the, the reality is you do need to have a skill level if you're going to be doing that. You need some training. You need some understanding, particularly on managing risk. Because when things go wrong, which they will at some point in anyone's investing career, it's the timeline, the immediacy of the decisions that you make to manage that problem, which will determine whether you come out of it 
okay or whether you come out of it homeless. And I know that's a really extreme example. So it's about really clear, definitive, decisive, non-emotional, controlled action steps immediately to manage that situation. So from my perspective, seeing people that are new to investing get piling into leverage is not something I like to see. I think it's something that you've got to be a couple of years into your journey to use borrowed money, in my opinion. Uh, because you've got experience under your belt, not stuff that you've learned in a course or read in a book or seen on YouTube, but you've actually got real experience under your belt and you've seen what happens and how quickly it can happen in markets. That's something I, I think is, a, is something I'd like to see as a prerequisite for using leverage. We see this, unfortunately, mm. all the time. We have these, you know, people join us in our ecosystem saying mm. they've been burnt before, they've leveraged up their fund yeah. manager or whatever, um, you know, put them into something they probably didn't understand. Mm. It's all about taking those baby steps and it's what we pride ourselves on through our education. 100%. What kind of external factors can we also put into the mix here? Look, competence and, and, and learning what you're doing, absolutely pivotal. And uh, you know, the whole mission that we've had throughout our business is to empower people to better take control of their money, to learn how to do this kind of thing. So parking the competence side uh, uh, the, the to that side of the ledger for the moment, confidence is something different again. And that's how strong is your view or understanding of what's going on uh, within the marketplace. And, 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 and more importantly within that is what's determining your, de uh, your decision making to want to gear up. So... A very good example of that would be FOMO, where you haven't got into a trade early enough and you think, I better get in before it's too late and I've missed so much of it already, I better gear up to get what I can out of it. And so not only are you arriving at the party late, but very clearly by virtue of the fact that you weren't able to make an early decision to get into it, you needed more and more confirmations of getting in later in the trend. You're turning up at the party and there's a couple of you know, cheese and pineapple on a stick and half a beer left. You know, the party's been and gone, it's but done. you're getting there. And you're gearing up to try and get something material out of it. So it's almost FOMO. You're almost chasing the trade that's not there and you thought, I'll put some leverage to make sure I make a, make a quid from it. So to my mind on that external side, if we transition uh, into those external factors, is how confident are you in the market that you're trading? And perhaps more importantly, whereabouts in the cycle is that market? And we can look at that from a property or a stock market or, or just about any other asset class perspective. So you know, if, you, if you're talking about property right now, we know we've had a property market that's been running red hot. The RBA are starting to make noises now where you know, interest rates are likely to rise before 2024. Um, you know, we've seen a massively extended run and people are talking about oh, immigration will push it up further, which obviously potentially it could. But the affordability issue for people to be able to get into markets, to any market to work and function properly, you need to have a full spectrum of players in that market. First time buyers, people upsizing, downsizing, investing, and so, and so on. So you need all of those sectors to be firing really well. So I think you know, the property market, if you look at it objectively, uh, on any normal metric, and granted we're not in normal times, is pretty extended. So we're probably towards the top end. I'm not saying the top, but we're towards the top end of that cycle. So gearing up, to get into a market that's at the top end of its cycle is inherently risky. So if, just to stop you there, AB, mm. you're a first home buyer, so let's say you're not very competent in the whole notion of buying property, it's your mm. first one. Yeah. You've only got a 5% deposit saved up, we're at the top of the cycle. That would all be red flags to go, maybe I shouldn't gear up and I should probably hold off a little bit. Well, think about it, if you're putting 5% down, and that means you're borrowing 95%, I mean, you're working with effectively nearly 20 times leverage. It's a lot. Um, and we've talked previously about, you know, maybe deposit requirements should be a little bit higher. And 
understand in all of this, the bank will be fine because if you're only putting down 5%, they're going to be charging you mortgage insurance anyway. So if something goes wrong, their debt gets repaid with the insurance policy that you're paying for. So the bank is largely insulated from the risk. It's Joe Bag of Donuts that's buying his first property that's there at risk. So again, it is a tricky one. But that said, Mitch, there's a big distinction between buying somewhere to live as a first home buyer and buying an investment property. If you're buying somewhere to live, it's going to be your home. Um, you know, you may be looking to add value to it by renovating it or whatever it may be that you're looking to, to that might be the play that you're looking at. Whereas if you're an investor, it's just the cold hard numbers. You're putting down your 20% deposit, you're putting a tenant in, the income from the tenant hopefully will cover the cost, which you know, given interest rates are pretty low at the moment, should be a, a no-brainer, um, and, and away you go. The challenge is if that market pulls back, you have to shovel more cash in there into an investment property to make sure that that LVR, that loan to value ratio is established. So if you're overly geared and it's not one investment property you've got, but let's say you've got five or 10 and you've got them even worse cross collateralized where the equity in one is being used for the deposit for the next, for the next, for the next, that's a house of cards that's going to come screaming down and, 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 and very sad for the, the investor. Uh, they go, well, how come I've lost all, had all these assets and now they're gone? And it's because you didn't understand the game you were playing, the competence wasn't right. So you know, it, it is a dilemma. If you're going in as a first home buyer, that's a little bit different. Um, a, the numbers are different. B, um, you're putting your heart and soul into it. You're going to make sure you keep that place unless you want to get, you know, get your house foreclosed and kicked out onto the street. So just a question for you, and let's compare this across maybe stocks and shares. Yeah. Where's that crucial level at which if you are leveraged quite a bit that you'd have to then kick in more cash? Does it depend on the lender or does it depend on the asset? Can vary, and, and, and both is the short answer to that. If you go through the loan document of whatever you're doing, whether it's a margin loan, whether it's a CFD, uh, or whether it's a mortgage, reading the small print is very, very important. Um, and um, yeah, the lender may initiate, if the LVR moves above this, we will require you to put in more cash on a property. Um, and that may also vary depending on the type of property, you know, house and land versus uh, an established property in an established suburb versus off the plan versus high rise. The, the rules and mechanic multi-dwellings, the, the rules around loans on those can, rural is another one, can vary quite significantly. So that's something to have a look at. Also the entity in which you're borrowing, if you're borrowing as an individual versus in a trust versus a corporate, the rules are different. So that's a small print, the competence is very, very important to understand. Similarly, if we switch back to talking about the stock market for a moment, the days of margin lending, if it was what's called a blue chip share, you know, your top 30, top 50s, your BHPs, your NAVs, Commonwealths, they were deemed as less risky by most margin lenders. So they'd be happy to lend a little bit more against them. So you might get maybe a, a, a 20, 80, uh, you're borrowing 80%, putting down 20 on BHP. Sure. Whereas if you start to move down the scale, let's say you're talking about Paladin Resources, which is a uranium mine, a great business, I might add, um, then the LVR on that might only be 30%. You've got to put down 70% and, and the lender will lend you 30 because it's deemed as a, a higher risk kind of asset because it's a smaller type of business, which arguably is a little bit more volatile. And so the lending requirements may be different there. Now, just because something's a blue chip, doesn't mean to say it's impervious to a fall in the market. And when we saw the GFC, which is the same margin lending, was very much the norm. That run up set sort of four, five, six, seven, eight, nine was a huge, huge time. We, we, we did a lot of work in what's called protected equity lending. And I'm so grateful that we had the NAS to develop that product. Um, that's where we'd actually allow our clients to borrow 100% 
Now you think, well, how reckless is that? Well, not really, because what we would do is they would buy a put option to protect their position so that if the share price tanked, they had an option protecting their loan. So there was never a margin call, you just exercised the put option and you'd pay the loan out from the insurance policy that you've got there. So it de-risked the client. Sure. It also de-risked us as the lender. We had $3 billion in that particular. Um, Holy smokes. Yeah, it's a, it's a good product. Um, and, 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 and that was very avant-garde at the time. And then we'd you know, prepay the interest, get the tax deduction on it, sell some calls and pick up the dividends to, to offset the interest costs and so on. And it was a really neat product. But the key thing with that was very specifically the investor and the lender were both protected. And that's a win-win for both parties because as we've spoken of with the banks, if something goes wrong, they're very protected. You're out on your ear. In that, by using options in that way, it just meant that, as I say, we de-risked it for the client, we de-risked it for us, so it was a marriage made in heaven, good business. So going back to um, blue chips never really fail. Well, yes, they do. Uh, and the GFC was a very good example of that. You think of the likes of you know, Merrill Lynch, uh, Bear Stearns, gone. Um, so the biggest can go, Lehman Brothers gone, um, you know, IAG, all of these big companies can go. And so that is a tough, tough time to be involved in that kind of product. Hence, having that level of confidence and strength of view on markets, as you start to get to the top of a cycle, you don't chase it harder by using more borrowed money. You actually do the total opposite and start to back away and reduce your leverage positions so that you're fairly safe. Got you. And it's probably a great profit-taking exercise if you were to do this around the time of this recording as mm -hmm. well. Let's now parlay this into AB, probably you know, our niche, our specialty, mm -hmm. and that is using options, yeah. which is similar to using leverage, not really kind of like it, albeit in a much more safer way. Just to cap us off on the broadcast here. Yeah, I guess like options, an area that you know, for nearly 30 years has been my bread and butter. So, and the, the, the reason that I got attracted into them in the first instance is that when they're used correctly, and there's a big caveat on that, when they're used correctly, they're an incredibly powerful, incredibly safe tool. When they're used in the wrong way, they're incredibly dangerous. Think about your car. I know you've got quite a nice car. Yeah, when it's parked in the garage, uh, or you're driving at home at 40 kilometers an hour in the- in, in, in No stress. Wind, no stress, happy days. But you know, if it's four o'clock in the morning, you've just sucked the ice pipe down and you're doing donuts in the middle of Bunnings Car Park in the middle of Mooney Ponds, all of a sudden that car that's fairly safe is now a very, very dangerous weapon. Especially in your V12 too. <laughs> yeah, well that's another story, that, that, that gets out of hand on its own. Um, the, the reality is using the instrument in the right way is key and options when they're used in the right way are designed to be a risk management tool. Unfortunately, they get bastardized and used in the wrong way by many, many people and that's where you see, oh, blow my account up, stupid options. There's no, you didn't know what you were doing with them. The idea is that they can help tilt the odds some very, very good examples of using options I spoke to just previously with our lending business was to use protected loans. In other words, I'd lend you a million, I'd lend you 10 million, lend you 100 million, didn't matter how much it was, but you had to have sufficient protection underneath that that loan was insured, which means no margin call for you, big difference from a margin loan, because if it goes wrong, you go, look, okay, I don't have to put money and let's just sell the put and pay the loan out, happy days. Sure. Interest is prepaid, prepaid, very, very good product. So puts when they're used for protection can be very, very effective. It was on the radio um, on 2GB a few, few, few months ago. And we're talking about um, with Commonwealth Bank, it was about $109, $110. And you could have protected yourself out to the end of January for about four bucks. So it was about four and a bit, it was about 4% roughly, 3.8% to protect yourself out that far. 
Uh, subsequently, we've seen the stock drop to 100, then there's a dividend, and it's sort of moved back up a little bit now. But you could have insulated yourself from all of that by using put options. Very, very useful tool. Secondly, from a gearing perspective, given that we're talking about leverage, you can actually use options in a very, very structured way to provide leverage on your trade. So instead of buying the stock, you might buy a long-dated call option, which might cost you maybe an eighth of the price of, I'm making the math very easy this one, but maybe for an eighth of the price of the shares. In other words, you're working with 12 and a half times leverage. Albeit you've got all the upside exposure to right. that with limited risk. Now the key thing here, which is the big difference between margin 4x CFDs or a margin loan of any sort, is that by buying that option, the only dollars at risk are what you've put down on the table. There's no risk of a margin call. It can't deteriorate. The only risk on the table is what you've put down. So that ability to get a call saying you need to put more, more money in your account doesn't happen. It's a safer way of playing it. Slightly different because you've got a, 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 an asset that will decline in value over time because of time decay. And then around that, you can then sell call options, generate some great premium. And let's say you're, selling, uh, you're generating 2% of income on a stock using a covered call strategy. And they'll appreciate if you're not in our ecosystem, these are new words Confusing, too. yeah. So we can teach you about that. Get in touch with us. We can teach you what all this stuff means. But let's say you make 2% on a trade doing it as a covered call. But by using the leverage, 12 and a half times leverage, all of a sudden, that's 25%. It's a lot more attractive. It's a quarter of the cost of what it costs you actually buy that call. Month one covered quarter of your cost, four months of trades, pay for itself, zero risk, anything after that is all free profit. And that's what happens when you start to use these instruments in the way that they're designed. The biggest bugbear that I've had over time, and that's why I'm such a firm advocate for investor education and making sure that people understand what they're doing with their money, uh, is purely and simply the, let's call it what it is, the mismarketing of products which suck people in like moths to a lamp. Invest in this, it gears up, your returns have got the capacity put the one word in potentially to be this but the risk is catastrophic if you get it wrong and if you're someone that's new to investing chances are the ball's going to fall on the wrong side of the fence in that early part of your trading journey where there's a very good chance you are going to be wrong a fair bit and if you're wrong a fair bit and it's geared up you're going to get slaughtered whereas if you take that couple of years to build into it and understand the process and this isn't about shortcuts but you can fast track that couple of years maybe down to six months to build up a level of competence if you've been coached in the right way to be able to more safely move into that leverage space, you're not going to have that blow up. And that's the crucial thing. And as I say, I see plenty of adverts out there, do this, we use leverage, da, 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 da. big return on your money, potentially. But when it goes wrong, you're just sweeping up the broken glass and everyday people do not deserve that outcome. And nine times out of 10, they've ended up in that outcome because they haven't understood, either because the party they were working with, be it the promoter or the marketer, failed to disclose it, which is shameful, or they were ignorant to it on their part. And unfortunately, that's their issue. You need to be confident in what you're doing if you're going to gear up. Simple as that. Totally. Sage advice. I think really the premise of this broadcast, know what you're doing and try and avoid those negative emotions like greed and FOMO around that. If you're getting drawn into something by greed or fear of missing out on something, absolutely. The emotion is taking it over. You've got to have a gauge and None of us are going to be right on this. It's like pinning tails on the donkey. You're not going to know where you are in the cycle. None of us know exactly where we are. At the same time, you've got to, be able to step back and go, yeah, it's kind of been running pretty hard for a long time. I am getting to the party maybe a little bit later. So maybe gearing up at the top of the market probably isn't the smartest idea.
Makes total sense, AB. Thank you very much for your analysis here. Great content, and I hope that uh, anyone considering using Leverage watches this beforehand. Anytime, Mitch, absolute pleasure. There you have it, guys. Make sure you give us a review and a rating, and we'll look forward to hosting you next week.